How's everybody doing? It's great to see you. It's great to see you. Okay, I have to ask a question that will set up everything we're going to talk about today. I need honest answers, okay? Anybody here in the house, show of hands, that loves peanut butter? Like, and I'm not talking about like, oh yeah, it's okay. You know, I mean like, if you're like me, I'm like inches away from a 12-step program because of my love for peanut butter, okay? Um, and I... You know, I, I am, my, my daughter, Mia, is six. When she was two is when I introduced her to peanut butter. That was like, I guess, the earliest that my wife would really allow it. But, um, so one day I went home for lunch. Um, I left the office. I went home for lunch and told, I'm like, oh, I want to see the family. Really what I wanted was some peanut butter. And so I get out. And I'm not one of these guys. Like, I'm okay with a peanut butter sandwich. I don't like jelly. I think jelly's of the devil. But... Um, <laughs> But anyway, so I, I, I just like peanut butter. And so what I'll do is, I don't really make sandwiches that much, but what I'll do is I'll just take a spoon and I'll just scoop peanut butter. And that's what I taught my daughter Mia to do. So she has this little Snoopy spoon. And so she would, I'd get home and then I would just kind of lean up against the kitchen counter and just eat some peanut butter. And then she would get a little scoop and then she'd lean up against the kitchen counter and eat peanut butter with me. And, you know, um, and so, you know, just she'd get her little spoon. I'd get a ladle. And we'd kind of go for it, you know, when I got home. So anyway, Carrie made lunch for us, and then I was done. So I was getting ready to go back to the office. And it was kind of a weird thing. I never really real, I never realized how quiet my house was. Um, but it was really, you know, Carrie and I were having lunch, and Mia was just didn't really say much. She was kind of out playing, doing her thing, and there in the house. And then, uh, so I had to leave. And so I, I tell Mia, Mia, um, you know, give Papi un besito, give me a kiss so I can go back to the office. And she says, okay. And, and then she gives me a kiss, but she's like this. To give me a kiss, like her cheeks are totally filled. And then I realize she never ate any of the peanut butter. She's just been storing it all in her cheeks this whole time. And I, upon further examination, I learned, because she's going to give me a kiss, and there's like peanut butter juice that's like seeping out. And so she's like, mm, and it's like now it's, it's, it's like a tube of toothpaste. You know, it's like starting to come out, but it's been working in there. And, and, and so, and, I, and I'm like, well, hey, Mia, why don't we um, keep the relationship professional and just shake hands? And uh, so she's like, she gets, starts getting mad. And so then and she's like, mm, no, she's really getting upset. She can't say much because she's got, you know, uh, you, know, you know, 18 ounces of peanut butter in, in, in her mouth. And so, and then finally um, I had to give her a kiss and it was the biggest, wettest, sloppiest, saliva-ist, peanut butteriest kiss I've ever gotten in my life. And, uh, and now I tell you all of that because this is really what we're going to drill down on for, for the rest of our time together. And that is this, just like my daughter, right? Just like you, just like me, whatever is in us eventually will come out, right? Most likely onto another person, okay? Uh, and, and here's what I mean. Whatever it is that's in you, Right? Whether it's peanut butter, whether it's wisdom, whether it's foolishness, whether it's evil or reviling, or whether it's blessing, it's going to come out. And usually it's when we come into contact with another person, when our lives kind of crash into each other, that's when uh, whatever it is that's in us will eventually come out and be revealed. You see, we all want, all of us, want God to bless us. And I think that's a good thing. And, and, and I firmly believe that God wants to bless us. 
Um, in your notes, I put the first verse in your outline, I put this in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus speaking. He says, or what man is there among you if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if, asks him for, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good, give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? You see, God, as a loving Father, desires to bless his kids. And, and it's because he wants to express his love to us, because he knows that in blessing us, it's going to better our lives. But I want to share something else with you, and this is the thing that I, I really want to um, uh, for us to wrestle with for the few minutes that we have together. Um, and that is, is there a reason beyond being, for being blessed beyond simply God wanting to enrich our lives personally? But what if God's desire is to bless us so that we could actually be a blessing to others? What if God's desire is actually to fill my cup, to fill your cup, to fill our cup, so that now to overflowing so that we in turn can fill the cup of others? Uh, it's in Psalm 23, which is a very famous psalm in the Bible, but he, David, the writer, says this. He says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup runs over. You see, God wants to fill our cup and maybe even make our cup run over. And sometimes when the cup is overflowing, we're thinking, I need a bigger cup. But maybe that's not God's desire. God's desire is not, no, no, no. Maybe you don't need a bigger cup or just to, so that we can keep more. Maybe God's desire is for us to take the cup that's overflowing and now start taking that overflow and filling other people. And that possibly God wants to bless us so that we can be a blessing to others. My friends, that is the heart in the passage that we're going to look at today uh, that Simon Peter writes in, in, in the book of 1 Peter. So I'm going to invite you, if uh, you would, if you would open your Bible there to 1 Peter chapter 3. That's where we're going to be. And uh, if you didn't bring your Bible, but you brought your phone, you can open your app, you brought your iPad or some lesser device, you can open to, uh, the, your, you can open to 1 Peter chapter 3. That's where we're going to be. And uh, it was several weeks ago that we started this series that's called Becoming. And the reason that we've been really drilling down on this book is that every single one of us, there's something, there's several things that all of us have in common. And one of the things is, is that all of us want to be different. No one wakes up and saying, I just hope I stay exactly the same. No, instead, all of us want to grow. We want to improve. There's a person we want to become. And so there's a there and then there's here. But we're trying to figure out what are the steps between here and there? And how do I get to the place where I believe God ultimately wants me to be? And what Peter does in his book is really show us the road between here and there. And what he's going to show us is, is that um, the reason that God blesses us and the reason that God's doing this transformative work in your life is not just so that we can consume everything. But instead, it's that our lives, that we could be a people that God would freely bless so that we could be a blessing to others. Now, here's what I mean. If you look in verse 8, here's where we're going to begin. He says, finally, all of you be of one mind. Having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous, not re returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, um, there's three things that I want to share with you today about being, becoming a blessing. The first is this, is that being a blessing means... Showing others your heart. 
It's showing others your heart. One of the things that, I, you know, Peter was a preacher. And that's obvious. Because only a preacher is in the middle of chapter 3 of his book and says, finally, like he's ending. And then goes on for two and a half more chapters. Okay? That is the work of a preacher, and that's why he's my hero. Um, and so, but I want you to know what happens when you speak blessing into other people's lives. When something could happen where uh, someone is, instead of going evil for evil, reviling for reviling, but if you notice, he says, instead of that, blessing. Because there's something that happens when an argument ensues and, and you respond to the words that are spoken with blessing. You respond to the challenge that comes with blessing. You see, if I respond evil for evil, reviling for reviling, it just continues to escalate. But instead, when I speak words of blessing, you know, you know what happens? Is that when I speak the words, the, the other person, a lot of times, they don't even know what to do. And I, I've shared this story years ago, but there was, um, there was one time that I was driving down Pines Boulevard. And I, I'm, I'm trying to get over, I'm getting close to I-75, I'm trying to get over to the left-hand lane. And as I'm getting over, I completely cut this guy off. I mean, the kind of cut off where you just go crazy, like you get upset, I get upset. You know, I can't believe you. Did you get your license out of a Cracker Jack box? You know, that, that, kind, of, that kind of go crazy, you know. And um, the worst part is like, I didn't even see him. I wasn't trying to cut him off, but I cut him off. But then the light turned red. And so then the guy comes over and then he like, you want to talk about an awkward moment. Like we're both parked there. And it's like, hey, anyway, so he rolls the window down and he just starts screaming at me. Um, about, you know, all this stuff about me. And he said a few things about my mom and, uh, which I, I can't really repeat. And, uh, and so he's saying all this stuff. And so now, you know, I, I have the window rolled down. I don't know why I do this. Like, I don't know if anybody's car actually has this anymore. Uh, but so, you know, it's like, you know, you're driving and I'm doing like pedaling, like Fred Flintstone's car. Anyway, so I rolled out. So I, you know, go like this and I rolled down the window. And, uh, so the guy's going crazy and I say to him, and he's yelling at me, and I say, hey, listen, you're right, and I'm really sorry. And he just keeps going, screaming, you know, but you and, and your mom, you know, and whatever. And, and I'm like, listen, dude, you are right. Well, not about my mom, but you're right about the driving thing, and I'm really sorry. And, and then the third time, he still keeps going, and then I say to him, I say, listen, um, you're, <laughs> madam, I'm really sorry. You're absolutely right. And, um, and, and, and so he says... And then but after he hears me apologize for the third time, he just stops. And he's like, well, okay, well, drive safe. All right, have a nice day. And it was just like the, the weirdest, it was the weirdest thing. And, and um, Because, you know, like, but that's not a natural reaction. I mean, that wasn't my natural reaction. I, he, you know, gets upset and, you know, he's got like this tricked out Honda Civic, you know, like with a fin in the back. Which, to me, putting a big fin on a Honda Civic is like buying a steak at Denny's. But anyway, I didn't say that. You can think it, but you can't say that. Uh, but I didn't say anything, so I just apologized. And, and, but you know what I realized is this, is that when we're rattled, when somebody does the reviling, when somebody does the evil, let's, what, what, eventually what's in us will, what is in us will eventually come out. And the, and the Bible actually says it this way, and this is a, this is a great verse to memorize. It is one that has saved me a lot of pain in my life. But he says this, that a soft answer turns away wrath. This is Proverbs 15.1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Now, the question is, 
How do you cultivate that? How do you cultivate that spirit that says when someone speaks evil or tries to, you know, I don't want to respond evil for evil, reviling for reviling. But instead, when they do that, I want to respond with blessing. I believe really at the heart of it is one of the terms that Peter uses, but it's about this idea of being teachable. Peter in verse 8 uses this term that is a little different than how we use it in our culture because he says this, if you look, he says, um, you know, be of one mind, having compassion for one another, loving as brothers, be tenderhearted and be courteous. Like, because in our culture, being courteous is just, you know, saying please, saying thank you, you know, holding out the chair, opening, holding the door open. That's, that's being courteous. But in that culture, um, uh, courtesy was much more than that. Courtesy, that, that word, that, that word that's translated um, uh, courteous is actually a compound word that means, uh, in the Greek language, it means humility of mind. It means that in your mind, there is a humility. So you hold the door open for someone because you're putting them in front of you, right? You know, you, you will say, hey, you know, you say please and thank you because you're not talking down to a person, right? You're, you're speaking um, as, as, as an equal, And so when he talks about humility of mind, it's essentially saying that you don't think you know it all or or you don't think that you've got it all together. And listen, it's a freeing phrase. I'm going to teach you a phrase that um, some of you know, some of you never heard, um, but it's really good. You may want to write this down. Here it is. I don't know. That is the most freeing term. Um, I I took over a college um, and the, the college was actually, it was an extension campus of a college in California, and I was the director of this extension campus, which had, you know, a few hundred students. And so, but I was, um, I had just graduated. I was 23 years old. I mean, it was the inmates running the asylum, um, uh, literally. And so I'm taking, and so I'm 23, I'm trying to prove myself, and, and, I'm, and I'm really going out of my, because any question anybody had, I had the answer. May not have been the right answer, but I had an answer. And so it was, you know, no, no matter what, because I just felt like to say I don't know, was, was showing that I'm not really ready for this or to show just m- my own personal weakness. And, and you know, the, the reality is, is that, you know, you get a little wisdom in your life. And isn't it interesting that when you get wise, you realize how little you know? Isn't it interesting? Like when you don't know anything, you think you know everything. And then when you know a bunch of stuff, you say, I don't really know much at all. And this is kind of the weird dichotomy of life, the way that works. But um, there's this there's this thing that happens that there's this humility that says, you know, I realize I don't know everything and that I could actually learn um, from, from other people. And that's one of the keys of life is to be teachable. Not that, yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. If you have teenagers in your house, you hear that all the time. Hey, you should do, yeah, I know. Well, apparently you don't know because you don't do it. So you may, you may have said, oh, yeah, I've heard that before. See, that, that makes more sense. But yeah, I know. See, I know implies you're actually putting this into practice, but you don't really know. Like, yeah, someone has told me that once before. Uh, looks a lot like you uh, that said that. Um, now, now here's, now here's a, this is good. This is important, and uh, this is a great, if you're a parent, this is a great proverb. Um, if you're just anybody should know this proverb. This is Proverbs 12.1. Whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. Oh, that's good. That's good. And I've talked to people that are very argumentative with me. And I've tried to share things with them. And they'll, like, just be hostile. And I'll say, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize you were stupid. (gasps) Dad, I thought you were a pastor. I thought you loved Jesus. I thought, oh, no, I do. That's from the Bible. (laughs) Because the Bible says that if you love instruction, you love knowledge. But see, you don't like correction, which means you're a dummy. 
Uh, and so, and, and so, but the good news is that you can change that. And, and so anyway, they, they didn't really like me. Um, but I, you know, I learned this. I, there's a thing that happens. I think one of the greatest things that's ever happened in my life is, is uh, becoming a musician and making the decision to want to learn to play an instrument. Um, and so I got my first, um, I got my first guitar at age 13, which was, wow, it was almost six years ago now. Um, no, it was actually, it's actually 26 years ago now. And, um, and, and now I'm left-handed by nature. Any left-handed people in the house? Look at you. These are all the geniuses among us. All right. Keep on keeping on. And whatever that means. And uh, so anyway, so I go to the music store, and, and, so, and I want to get a, a guitar. And I tell, ask the guy behind the counter, and I say, hey, do you have any guitars that are left-handed? Because I just felt like this felt a little more comfortable to me when I was 13. Uh, like, you know, I was, I was amazing on air guitar like this. And I thought, man, can I, can I play um, this, uh, can I play lefty, anything left-handed? And the guy behind the counter said these words that changed my life. And he says this, he says, he says, listen, left-handed or right-handed, you stink either way. <laughs> True story. You stink either way. So why don't you actually just play right-handed so even though you're bad, you'll still look normal? I, I, I guess I'll take the right-handed one, you know. And, uh, and I, I did, and I took the right-handed one, and that's why I, I play normal today. And uh, that, that was the pep talk he gave me. You stink, buy a right-handed one, and things will be better for you. Um, and so I started taking lessons, and, and, and then eventually I stopped stinking, which helps. You know, I got okay and got some skills, you know, started some bands, and then got a record deal when I was 20 or so. And, um, but it, it, took, it, it took instruction, that began with being teachable. And, and now the thing is this. My, the high school that I went to in Coral Springs, um, we were, the, the school was crawling with musicians. I mean, really, there was like so many musicians. And um, what I realized was is that there was two types of us musicians. And a lot of us hung out kind of in one corridor in uh, that lunch dur- during school. Is that what I realized, there was two types of us. There was the one group of us that took lessons. Even though we were a lot further along, we still were taking lessons and getting better. There was another group that they didn't take lessons because they didn't have time for the lessons. They had to go and start, well, doing whatever it is that you do when you don't take lessons. You just start banging away on the thing, which is bad. You don't even know how to tune it. But they're like, no, I don't have time for that. And they're going to start, just do this. And, and they, they were awful. Like, they never, they never got better. And, and the weird thing is this. Like, I wanted to be a good musician. First, because I wanted to be a good player, and I wanted to get it. My, my goal in life was to have a record deal by the time I was 18. It took me until I was 20, but, you know, give me a mulligan, all right? And so, um, so, and so I wanted to be a good player. The second thing is, is that I noticed something about guys who were musicians and who were in bands. They all dated pretty girls. And I learned, I learned a lesson. This is a principle of life, man. Take note. Um, the principle was, you don't even have to be that good-looking. But if you're a good musician and you're in a band, you can get, you know, any pretty girl to date you. And so, you know, and so some of you later will see my wife and you're like, hey, it's true. Because, you know, I don't know what the deal is with him, but she's hot. And so that's the thing. That's how it works. And so, you know, guys, and I tell guys this all the time, like, I want to marry a pretty girl and all this. I'm like, well, you know, buy a guitar. It's the only way I know. You know, it's the only surefire way that you're going to marry a pretty girl is uh, that you become a musician. And uh, I'm totally off track. 
Um, so what I was talking about, um, oh, but, but, <laughs> but I will tell you what's funny, though, is that you see guys, um, like I, I saw, I, I went to this concert like a year ago or so, and I, I ran into some friends of mine from high school. And it's like, hey, Bob, I haven't seen you in a while. And this is my wife. And, and, and I'm telling you, and, and I, you're going to laugh, but I think of this stuff when I meet people. But I, I, I saw my friend, and, and him and I um, were in a band together. And, uh, and, and, and she, was, she was pretty. And I, and, and I thought to myself, and, you know, hey, nice to meet you. And, hey, you know, I've known this guy forever. And I thought, man, the lessons paid off. You know, so good. And then I run into other guys, the guys that didn't take, you know, didn't invest in their musicianship. And I meet their spouses. And I think to myself, like, you know, a couple lessons wouldn't have killed you. Because um, she's kind of rough. But, um, but no, anyway, uh, now, uh, moving on. Moving on. Um, uh, I'm going to read just a Bible verse or something just to move me back. Uh, the Bible says this. No, really, really, this is where we're going. That's the next thing. Um, the Bible says this in 2 Timothy. All Scripture... See, that's, what good, you just, that's a good way to bring it back. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's what God offers to us when we go to the Scriptures. He offers us this instruction in righteousness. Not instruction in self-righteousness, instruction in righteousness, how to live God's way. And if you want to cultivate a teachable spirit, there has to be that humility of mind that says, maybe I don't know everything. And maybe what I need is to actually go to the scriptures and ask God, God, how do I do this the right way? I've done it my way a long time, but I want to do it the right way. And this is the thing I tell people that are just coming to the Bible for the first time. They just come to know Jesus. I say, listen, when you read the Bible, don't just read it for fun. Don't just read it so you say you read it. But this is the thing. Make one conscious decision that you are going to do what you read. You're going to find that what the Bible says for us to do, and you're going to do it. So we just read that verse, right? The Bible says a kind answer turns away wrath. You just start doing it. Is it going to feel weird? Yeah. It's going to feel totally awkward because we've been living a different way. But see, now you're just going to say, listen, so when somebody says, instead of evil for evil, reviling for reviling, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to show what, what God's been putting in my heart. And instead of the evil back for the evil or the reviling for the reviling, I'm going to respond with blessing. And you know what will happen after a season of time? As you begin, to, you begin to do it out of obedience. And what will happen is, is that what starts out as just an act of obedience to God will become the normal way that you respond. Because God's way will then become your normal way that you respond. Because that's what God has put in you. And the thing that, that's in you will always come out when we come into contact with another person. Look at what, what uh, Peter says in verse 10. He says this. Uh, he, he actually, um, we were called to inherit uh, the blessing. And then he quotes from Psalm uh, 34. He says this. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Now, um, if, if you pause there and, and give me your attention, um, here's the second thing I want to share with you, and that is that being a blessing means leveraging your words. It's leveraging your words. You know, one of the things that I see happen, and I recognize that some of this is because, you know, my, my whole life is, is words, right? I mean, I'm, 
I'm, I'm teaching the Bible all the time. I'm writing books. I'm, I'm communicating in other environments. So words is kind of like, you know, words are my toolbox. Um, but a lot of times people don't realize the problems that are created when we don't use our words wisely. So, you know, your, your spouse comes home from work upset. And you say, what's wrong with you? See, and that's when the explosion ensues. Okay? Now, once again, just changing your words slightly can just modify that whole scenario. So instead of, hey, what's wrong with you? You can say, honey, what's troubling you? And you see how that's a big difference where, what's wrong with you? You know, it's not now, now I'm the problem, but what's troubling you? Like, there's something out there that has caused the problem. Same idea, totally different connotation. Proverbs chapter 12 says this. It says, reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Um, when we're sloppy with our words, it just it causes problems. And too many of us, because we don't realize the power that our words have, we, um, we don't see the impact that, 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 our, that our words have, and, and, and that's why we use them carelessly. You know, um, Xander and I, my, my son Xander's almost, he'll be four in July, but we were at Home Depot the other day, because I pretty much live at Home Depot now, by the way. I, I, and everybody knows me, you know, because I'm there all the time. And so, but we were there the other day, uh, probably about a week ago or so, and Xander's in the cart with me. We're having like man time. You know, you do that, you bring your son. Yeah, let's, here, here's a box of nails. Do something with that. You know what I mean? Just like one of those moments. Um, and so, and, and so we're, we're, uh, we're talking, and, and I'm going down an aisle, and I'm listening to this mom talk to her son. And it's just, it's, it's like, and, and so she says to, um, to her son, you know, like to go. And then I guess maybe he didn't listen. She's like, all right, come on, dummy, let's go. And I'm like, oh, and, and, and it's just like, it just kills me. And, and it, the thing that broke my heart is that this kid is not only going to grow up thinking that he's a dummy, but that there's going to come a point in time when other people say that word to him and he won't have the self-respect to stand up for himself. And stop, because he's been just told that over and over again. And sometimes he goes, oh, you know, but that's just a, way, that's just a figure of speech. You know, kids don't understand that. And, and you and I live in a, we live in an encouragement depleted world. Where what we see on TV, what we see on, on, on the web is just, is just saturated in sarcasm. And it, 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 see, there's this thing that happens in our culture where the thing that we call entertainment is watching other people fail. And that's what kind of begins to, it's what keeps feeding that culture. You know, it's like a guy climbs Mount Everest. Nobody really cares. It gives, gets a two, little two-second thing. Hey, somebody climbed Everest. It's amazing. Somebody falls down a flight of stairs, and that'll get a million hits on YouTube. And, and it's like, now think about that. Because there's just something in us and I believe it's something deep-rooted, um, that, that, that we love watching people fail. We love watching famous people fail, especially. I believe because it, we think it lets us off the hook. That, see, if they don't aspire to greatness, then I, I don't have to do anything with my life either. But we'll leave that as it may for another time. But, the, you see, this is the reason why, because we have this sarcasm-saturated culture, because the, the world that we live in is so encouragement-depleted, we naturally, all of us, gravitate towards people who encourage us. All of us do. You, you have one friend or, or, or more, but there's someone that you know that every time you talk to them, you encourage them. And when you pick up the phone, that's the person you want to call. 
for pretty much anything. Like, hey, you know, I, I, I did this. And because, you just, because we're just wired that way because, to be encouraged. And we naturally gravitate towards people because we need to be encouraged by the people that we love and respect the most. The Bible says this. This is in Proverbs chapter 10. It says, The words of the godly encourage many, but fools are destroyed by their lack of common sense. Listen, I just... If you want to be a blessing to other people, here's, here's what I say. Just speak words of life to them. I, um, Xander, the other day, it was raining uh, the, uh, this week, and so the kids couldn't go outside. So Xander, being the industrious young man that he is, he takes his basketball, his full-size basketball, and uh, he gets the trash can out of my office, and he puts it up against the wall, and he backs it up, and he just starts shooting free throws inside the house. And... You know, now he backs it up and he just shoots the free throw and it goes in. And then, I mean, the, the, the ball goes into the trash can. The trash can also tips over and spills all the garbage everywhere. However, um, we, he makes the basket and, and we're like, whoa, you did it. That was awesome. You know, I mean, we'll clean up later. But uh, this thing was so amazing. And I'm like, buddy, I'm so proud of you. That was amazing. That was a great shot. I didn't even know you could do it, but you did it. And, and, and I said that to him, and he stops, and he goes, Dad, are you really proud of me? And I'm like, oh, yeah, buddy, I'm proud of you. I'm so proud of you because you're a good boy. You're a good boy, and you're strong, and, 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 and you've got skill to do this. It's so awesome. And, and listen, that a simple word of blessing means the world to him like it means the world to us. Um, we pray with our kids, all the kids, you know, the three kids before they go to bed. And um, one of the, the, and there's something that we say to each, each of them before they go to bed. But Mia goes to sleep. Mia's my six-year-old. And, um, you know, she'll, she'll lay down. We'll put the covers on her, and then we'll pray with her. And then um, there's three things I always tell her. I tell her that she's smart, that she's beautiful, and that Mommy and Poppy love her. And you know what's amazing about that? Mia believes with all of her heart, that she is smart, that she is beautiful, and that her parents love her. And, you know, on, on Mother's Day, and this is the thing that's amazing to me, on Mother's Day, we're walking from here to go take our picture. And someone turns to Mia and says, Mia, you look so beautiful. And she goes, yeah, I know. Uh, and, you know, it's like, okay, throttle it back, girl. Uh, don't get cocky. And, uh, but, but it's just amazing to me that there, there's this, um, this thing that, you know, your wor- Listen, our words can be like a nuclear bomb to people and just destroy everything that God is doing in them. Or we can speak words that give birth to dreams, vision, and ideas about what God has about that person's future. In um, Proverbs 18, it says this. It says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat of its fruit. So how do you, I mean, so let's talk real practically. I mean, how do you actually speak words of life and not nuclear bombs in people's lives? I want to give you three ways in particular you can do that, just to be real practical. And here's the first one. And that is, number one is use your words wisely. Use your words wisely. Because words have the ability to destroy and have the ability to build up. We've got to use our words wisely. And in fact, I would venture to say that the deepest wounds and hurts in your life like my life, are not physical scars, but they're actually words that people spoke. 
that hurt us. In fact, maybe they were words that were never spoken, but that we wished were spoken. We'll talk about that in a moment. And usually this happens because people were careless with their words. Proverbs 10, I'm quoting a lot from Proverbs because so much about the words that we use in Proverbs. But he says this. He says, wise men store up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool invites ruin. Parents, let me talk to you for a moment if I can. Um, The words that you use with your kids are shaping who they are. Oh, they know I'm kidding when I say dummy or or when I say genius sarcastically. Or, you know, they, they know I'm just, no, see, they don't. They don't understand that. They do not understand sarcasm at all. You know, I read a study recently that said kids hear 32 negative words for every positive one. And at home, here's what we have to do. We have to work to build up our kids and reinforce the good things that they're doing. Because your kids are looking to you for validation. They are looking to you to find out who they are. And that's why we need to speak words that build them up and reveal God's vision for them. You know, as Christians, we just have to be known for that. We have to be known for people who just speak wisdom and life and blessing into other people. You know, I, I get asked sometimes, like, you know, Pastor, I, I just wish I had more friends, you know, and I, I, I want to have more friends that, you know, build me up and all that. And I said, listen, you, you want to have more friends? This is, this is the easiest way to do it. You just consistently speak life and God's wisdom and God's blessing on other people, and you will have to beat friends back with a stick because people are naturally attracted to those who just speak encouragement and blessing. It's just, the, it's just the way it is. You know, in Proverbs ten eleven, it says this. It says, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but violence overwhelms the mouth of the wicked. Let me tell you the second thing that's so important about um, how we use our words, and, and that is this. Um, so use your words wisely, number one. Uh, number two is eliminate sarcasm. Guys, let me just give you a little piece of advice. No man has ever married the woman of his dreams. And when she was asked, so why did you marry him? Oh, his biting sarcasm just won me over. It was just so rough. You know, I just, great. No, you know, instead, but I don't know of any relationships that start because of biting sarcasm, but there's plenty of stories about relationships that end because of that kind of sarcasm. The Bible says this in... um, it's on your notes, but it's in Proverbs 26. Because um, the thing is, we say stuff, and there's, oh, but I'm just kidding. You know, I'm not being serious. Listen to what the Bible says. I love this. It says, it's Proverbs 26, 18 and 19. It says, just as damaging as a madman shooting a deadly weapon is someone who lies to his friend and then says, I was only joking. Um, married couples, let me talk to you for a moment if I can. Um, your words are the most powerful words in your spouse's life. Period. As powerful as the words of a parent are to a child is the power of a husband's, wi- a husband's words to his wife and a wife's words to her husband. And it's just the reality. And we've got to eliminate sarcasm and start speaking words of life to, to, our, to our spouses. Because, listen, the words that we use will either, it is like a nuclear bomb. They will destroy everything or they will build up and lift up and encourage. You know, my wife knows this. And, I, you know, she's here and, and, and she's, she's not going to be surprised by this. I live to impress my wife. I will go to any extreme to impress my wife. And, and, I'm, and, and she knows it. 
And sometimes, like, I will do something crazy, you know, like, just do something, you know, um, to, 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 to bless her, do something. And then, um, you know, she, she, maybe she doesn't say anything. And I'm like, what's wrong? Why did you not say you were impressed by what I've done? I lifted the entire house and moved it four inches. Over. You know what I mean? I did something crazy. And she's like, and so, but she knows that. She knows that. I sent her a text the other day about something. And she just responded with two words. I'm impressed. <laughs> Hallelujah. Glory to God. This is it. And, and, but listen, she knows. Listen, and she knows the power that her words have with me. You know something? If, if I preach a message and all of you tell me it's fantastic. And she's like, yeah, you know, it's all right. It stunk. If I preach a message and she loved it and all of you hated it, you're all crazy. <laughs> it's true. Um, but because she knows that she, her words are the most powerful words in my life. And my words are the most powerful words in her life. And that's why, listen, we, th- that kind of influence and that kind of power needs to be stewarded well. It needs to be stewarded well. That we use the, our, our words and our influence in the right way to encourage, to lift up, and to bless. Now, let me give you the third one, and then we'll move on. The third one is this, is um, to be generous with your words. I mean, some people just withhold compliments and encouragement. And I, that, it's, it's, it's just mind-blowing to me that, like, just don't be that person. Um, you know, just go out of your way to be generous with your words. And, and you know, there, there's sometimes when people say, oh, that's just kind of weird for me to just say how I feel. And, you know, and don't you think it's even weirder to go a lifetime without telling the people that you care about most to say something about the impact that they're making in your life and the care that you have for them? See, that's crazy to me. Rather than sharing the words that, that, that hey, you know, what... Um, what you did, what you do, what, what you've done, what you said, your example just means the world. So be, be generous with your words. Um, the Bible says this, and it, it, it says that open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. It's like this. Like being told off is better than somebody loving you and never telling you. Basically is what is my translation. Um, so tell the people that you love that you love them. If you're proud of someone, tell them. Just go out of your way. Listen, when I'm talking to someone, I am looking for something to just say, you know what? That what you're doing is great. What you're doing, God is honoring. He's blessing. You keep doing the right thing. God's going to continue to open doors in your life and bless you and, 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 and all the rest. But you speak words of life in, into people. And I just want to challenge you to just start thinking of ways that you can do that. I, I had a conversation with my pizza delivery guy. We, did, we bought a pizza this week and some salads. The guy came to the house, and uh, I realized I didn't have my wallet on me. So I'm like, listen, hey, why don't you come in, and then uh, I'll grab my wallet, which is here in my, my office. And so um, I grabbed my, my wallet, and then Carrie and the kids walked by um, and said hi to him. And, uh, and I've seen him a couple of times delivering and whatnot. And, uh, and he said to me, he said, hey, you have a lovely home and a beautiful family. And I could have just said, thank you. But I, I decided to do something else, and I decided, you know what? Um, it's tough doing that. I remember I did. The, I, I was a delivery guy. You know, I was 19 years old. I was 20 years old. Um, so, I'm, and I said to him, um, and he said, that, you know, you have a beautiful family and a lovely home. And, and I, I said to him, and I said, you know, 20 years ago, I was you. 20 years ago, I was a struggling college student, delivering food to pay for my education. And um, I was getting a theology degree because I felt God calling me into ministry and because um, God had changed my life. And, and this is what I want to share with you. 
that if you walk with God and you trust him, that he will do in your life what he's done for me. And my prayer is that he does even more. You know, it was amazing when I said those words to him. You know, he was kind of like this, you know, counting change and whatever. And then I just spoke those words to him. You know what happened? He goes like this. I don't know what happened to his posture with me. You know, it's like I spoke words of posture into his life. But it's like, but it's like, you know, for some reason, you know, he goes from this kind of hunched over. Yeah, let me get you the change, man. And I share this with him. Hey, this is where God had me. And I just want to speak a blessing on you. And the guy just stands up straight. You know, it's like at the end of like the old the black and white Superman, you know, truth, justice in the American way. It was one of those moments. And like, yeah. And, and, and it was because just somebody spoke to him and just gave him a vision of what his future could be like. And that's why I'm saying to you, listen, you have no idea when you like that you, you're, you, you are created not just to be blessed, but to be a blessing. That you could say words that, listen, cost nothing, but mean everything to someone else. Well, let me read you the last two verses because we're, we're going to close here in a couple minutes. But here's what he says. He's still quoting Psalm 34. He says, let him turn away from evil and do good and let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, last one, and that is this, that being a blessing means doing what's right. Doing what's right. There's a common mistake that we make as people, and we all try to do this when we want to change. And that is that here's what we try to do. We say, I'm doing this, and I don't want to do that anymore. Or I'm not doing this, so I'm going to add this to my life. But see, that's not the way life works. The way life works is, and the way change works is that I subtract something and then I add something in its place and then I get a different result. So let me give you an example. This is not in your notes. Just write Ephesians 4. You can look it up later. Here's what the Bible says. It says this. Let him who steals, steal no more. But let him work with his hands and do good and provide for others. You see what happens? Like, think about it. Why does a person steal? A person steals essentially because they just want to take something from someone else. They didn't earn it. They just take it because they're either too greedy or too lazy to just earn it for themselves. Then Jesus comes into someone's life and here's what happens. The same hands that used to take from others without working for it, without earning it. Here's what he says. Um, That those same hands, now you're going to work to do good that you can be a blessing to others. Now, this is the thing that's really important because he says that him who steals, let him steal no longer. He doesn't say, if you're a thief, you know, then, 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 you know, and just keeps calling him a thief. He doesn't do that. Instead, he says, let him steal, steal no longer. Because that person isn't a thief anymore. He went from being a taker to now being a giver. And I want you to listen for a moment because I think this is really important. And, th- and that is this, that you aren't, you are not who you used to be. You are not who other people think you used to be or what you used to do. Um, you, it could be that you used to be an alcoholic. You used to be a drug addict. You used to be and you fill in the blank. And then you came to know Jesus and he delivered you from that. I just want to tell you something. You aren't that person that you used to be. You aren't the drug addict anymore. You aren't the alcoholic anymore. You aren't the abuser anymore. You aren't that. Here's what the Bible says. You are an overcomer. You are more than a conqueror. That's what the Bible teaches. And so sometimes, here's the things that we do, is that we define ourselves by what our life used to be. And that's the thing he's saying, no, no, no. If we're going to move from, well, that's what it used to be and all this. No, no, no. If we're going to go from, God, I want you to bless me now to be a blessing, we've got to stop thinking about 
who we used to be and defining ourselves by what we used to be. You know, because I'm an addict. No, what you mean to say is I used to be an addict. Now I'm a Christian. And Jesus saved me. And now I used to be that, but now I'm an overcomer. And now I'm more than a conqueror because everything changed when I came to know him. The Bible would say it this way. It says in your notes in Romans 8, it says, What shall separate us from the love of God? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sakes we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any other powers, neither height nor depth or anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. My friends, according to God, you aren't an addict. You aren't a failure. You aren't a disappointment. Here's what you are. You are more than a conqueror. And it's time that we started letting go of the past, the past Uh, designations that people gave us, the titles that we had. Oh, well, that's kind of what you are, the past struggles that we've had. And it's time to start labeling ourselves as what the Bible calls us, which is more than a conqueror. It's time to start looking at our life, not through the lens of what we used to be, but looking at our life through the lens of everything that God has for us. You see, it's about changing how we see ourselves. That... Do you see yourself based on, well, see, but somebody else said this thing about me, so that must be who I am. That's not who you are. Instead, why don't you base your life on the future that God has for you and what the Bible says about you? You want to know what the Bible says about you? I love this verse. This is in Ephesians 2.10. I put it in your notes. He says, for we are God's masterpiece. Created. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we would do the good things he planned for us long ago. He says that this this is what he says about you. For you, you've come to know Jesus. You are God's masterpiece. Literally, it's it's the Greek word poema, where we get our English word poem. And it literally means work of art. You are God's work of art. Now, you might look at your husband and say, you know what? He is a piece of work. Um, And maybe so, but so are you. So are all of us. We're a piece of work. We're a work of art. We're a masterpiece in progress. You and I are masterpieces that God is working on. He's adding color. He's adding dimension. He's adding depth. He's increasing character and virtue and perseverance and courage and wisdom and holiness into our lives to turn us into the masterpiece that he envisions for you, for us. Because my friend, you are created in God's image. And God's goal for you and God's goal for me is that we would look more like the one who created us. I love this passage in Psalm 84. It's the last verse in your outline, but it says this. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory and no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. You see, my friend, God wants to bless your life. God wants to transform your life. And he's not going to withhold any good thing from you when the time is right.
But that's why the first order of business, you say, well, I, I, I want that life. I want the life where God doesn't withhold anything from his kids. Well, then the first order of business is to know God and to walk with him. Because if you read that promise carefully, re- read it carefully, because it's not just that it's not just an open-ended promise. He says, the Lord will give grace and, and glory and no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. You see, we can make a decision to walk uprightly. We can make a decision to come to know God. Some of us are here and, and we say, well, well, I know Jesus, but I just haven't really been walking much with him. But I want the blessing of the promise. Then this would be my encouragement to you. Then walk in his ways. Walk uprightly. And you know what you're going to find in your life? That no good thing will he withhold from you when the time is right. And you might be here and you've never given your life to the Lord. Listen, God loves you. And he loves you passionately. And he wants to withhold no good thing from your life. And he wants to bless your life. Why? Because it's his nature. Because like a, like a loving father, that's what he wants to do. And then he has a steward those blessings that we might be a blessing to other people. And so maybe today is the moment that we say, well, I, I've never really known God as father. I've known him as he's there and he's powerful and all that, but I've never known him as, as father. And maybe today's the day that we come to know him as father, as forgiver, as savior, as Lord, when we just invite Jesus to come into our lives and he forgives us and he starts us on a new path. When we start walking uprightly with him and that he begins to do the things that we only hoped that he would do. And he begins to take us from here to there. Let's pray together. And father, we thank you so much. We thank you that we are blessed to be a blessing. We thank you that you deposited the truth of the gospel to us, that we might in turn share that same truth with others, that God, you love us and you want everyone to be forgiven, to be set free of all the things that hold them back, that God may today be the day for many who make that kind of decision and invite you into their lives and experience the life that they only dreamed the life that you've been planning for them. I pray, Lord, that you would do that work in these final moments. In Jesus' name.